Welcome to the Fibery Goodness Tiny Studio Magazine podcast, Tiny Talks, with your hosts Arlene Thayer, yoga teacher, spinner, knitter extraordinaire, and all-round wise person, and myself, Susie Brown, aka Woolwench, passionate fibre artist and owner-publisher of indie magazine, Tiny Studio Creative Life. Join us as we chat about all the behind the scenes at the magazine, creative projects we're working on, life and fibre hacks, and just like in our magazine content, ways to boost your creativity and maximise your moments of fibre art inspiration. Hi everybody, welcome to another episode of our podcast from Tiny Studio and Fibery Goodness. I'm Arlene Thayer and Susie Brown is my co-host, editor-in-chief, fiber artist extraordinaire. In this particular episode, we're going to talk about color and design. And I'm going to say right out of the gate, and I'll let Susie defend defend what I say or argue with me, that um, color is probably the most important feature in design. And if the color selections aren't good, and we'll talk about what that means, uh, the design's going to fall apart. I am going to defend what you say and not argue with you at all. (laughs) (laughs) When would I argue with you, Arlene? I do agree. I think you can come up with the most amazing design, but if the colors don't work together, you're never going to feel satisfied with it. And, And it's really personal. For some people, it might be these colors, and for somebody else, it might be those colors. So, but if you're not personally satisfied with the colors you've chosen for your amazing design, you're never going to feel quite like you love it. And that's a shame. Yes, it is a shame. So some people have really an intuitive sense. I think you do, Susie. Whereas I don't think that I did. I've worked pretty hard to get better. Uh, I'm really fascinated by it, but not in the sense of studying the color wheel. (laughs) I can't can't do that either, I, I have to say. I see a lot of color wheel theory, color theory stuff. I wouldn't say I'm intuitive, though. I think it actually just comes down to practice. I've been painting, drawing and painting since I was like three years old, and it's always been a really big thing for me. So color was always really important to me. And, you know, when something's important to you, you tend to really delve into it a great deal and because I just did so much of it I really found the colors that I loved early on and figured out what went and what didn't and it's interesting over the years it's actually changed I used to think blue and green were awful together and now I love them together so you you know your color tastes can change as well which maybe we can come back to that later yeah I agree with you I agree with you Uh, I would characterize myself as someone who probably about 10 or 15 years ago, just let's talk about from a knitting perspective, for example, I would go into a yarn store, I would see a sample knitted up and I would buy the pattern and and I had to have the exact yarns. Like I had no imagination for any of that Um, to now someone that I'm pretty free and relaxed in my choices. And I, I'm not so literal, but it it, it has been a journey and I wanted to share some of the resources that I've used or that I'm using and we can talk about some tips and tricks. Um, And the first one that I wanted to share is a book and we can link this in the show notes called Confident Color 
by the author is Leland. Uh, that It's like kind of a little bit of a workbook style. Uh, that was recommended to me by an art teacher who taught classes on handling color. Uh, no, I so, love anything that's workbook style too, by the yeah. way. Things so, with, with exercises that say, go and do this. Right. If that's your jam, then I would look at that. Not expensive. I think it's maybe $20 on Amazon or something. But my favorite tool I just shared with Susie not long ago is a new app by Pantone called Pantone Connect. And it is free at the, this time. I think eventually they're going to figure out how they want to monetize it. But um, if I've always been sort of a Pantone color of the year, you know, fan. And so they show the color of the, well, this year it's two colors this year, but they show the colors, they show the palettes, they show different palettes that go with those colors. Uh, you can build your own palettes, which I love. And there's a 3D option that's pretty cool. Uh, it's I haven't really, tried there, the 3D option yet. There's a lot of little now features in there. You have to I'm kind of like gonna, poke just around. just in the background, just do that now. <laughs> Well, yeah, while yeah. we're talking, you can sneak that. Just have a quick, um, yeah, because it's a fantastic thing, app. I've really enjoyed the, the palette choices that it gives me. Sometimes not expected ones either. Right. Uh, you can see, like, if you're into fashion at all, you can see, like, what the collections are showing for fall and winter in London, in New York. Uh, so that's pretty neat. And then they have a new feature that's in beta called Schemes. And if you go into there and you type in, say, the word acorn, it brings up a picture of an acorn and then it shows the colors that are found in this image. But it doesn't Fantastic. show just, just one acorn. It shows multiple images with multiple palettes. Right. So, so that's could, pretty neat. You could neat. do a whole themed project. Yes, yes. Using that as the base. So you could, like, put an ocean or mountains. Exactly. Yeah. So another thing, if you're a dyer, um, they have the um, they have the equivalents for the cyan, magenta, and yellow values. So if you're a like a geeky scientific dyer and you like to take those values and analyze, like how to balance your own formulas, um, and also. We're going to link in the resources a converter because if you see somewhere the values, the R, I'll explain this in a second, the RGB values, and you want to convert it to the cyan, magenta, and yellow, there's an online converter that you can use to do that. So when you look at those Pantone chips, you'll see things like hex and RGB. And these are different when they're showing their colors. Uh, they're showing that some things are for print, some things are for on screen. So it's how the color is going to be used. What, what I guess, the, for lack of a word, better word, sort of like the delivery mechanism, you know. So, um, so when they're referring to RGB and hex, and that, that's what they're talking about. And I think RGB might be for online. Hex is definitely for online. Yeah. But for, yeah. like, I think a dyer's purpose, I could be wrong about this because I'm not a super scientific dyer, but from what I have read in the past, I think the cyan, magenta, and yellow values um, yeah. are what some people like to use to yeah, replicate. Yeah, 
yeah, mm. like replicate. So that is mm. really great. Now, in the past, what I would do when the palettes would come out, um, when, you know, Pantone would show like their 2019 palette or what have you, I would go out and build like a Pinterest board or I might grab some fashion magazines and I would cut out pictures. We, we have some of those boards on our um, uh, favorite yes, business Yes, exactly. Uh, yes, because... That's another, garden, I think we called it. Yes, that's another resource. If you go to the Fibery Goodness blog and you do a search on color or Pantone, you'll see some of those old blog posts where we talk about different things about like just about yellow. What do we have to say just about yellow or just about brown? Um, so that is like one of my hot tips is the Pantone Connect. It's a fantastic app. Really, really, really good. One of the best I've... I mean, there's a few of those around, but this one's the best I've found also because it links straight up to the palette, Pantone color palette, so it's easy to actually find the colors. Right. It's great. It's really great. And, you know, um, that really helps even like when you say I'm quite intuitive with colors, I tend to stick to my safe colors because I know they work, and it doesn't apply across the board either, by the way. I used to... I mean, now I kind of wear black, so it's easy. <laughs> but I would like clothing. I had no idea really what went with what. And for a long time, um, my my husband used to like get out clothes and say, well, should I wear this with that? And like, why are you asking me? <laughs> I'm not the person to ask. I could give you really bad advice because the colors I think go together when I make yarns actually might be different from the colors that really look good when you wear them together as well. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and in fact, I think we had um, – a little chat with uh, uh, Libby Johnson. She's a designer and um, she was in issue eight with a wonderful article on um, creating a wardrobe with your knitting. And she talks a lot about how the colors you love are not always the colors that you want to wear either. And and that's a little bit of conflict there too, because I might like yes. some really, I love the neon colors, you know, they're amazing to work with, so much fun, but I cannot wear them. My coloring just washes out completely if I put on anything slightly neon. So I have to be aware mm. of that with my designing as well. Well, let me, now I am going to take exception on that because I think, yes, could, could you put on a neon fluorescent yellow shirt and get away with it maybe not but could you have a shawl that had every once in a while a pop of yellow neon in it yes i could get away with a little bit here and there yeah i i don't think anything's off limits i think as they say the poison is in the dose like how much is too much the percentage that you put into your into your project like you're definitely something entirely neon while I might have a really lot of fun making it, um, it would sit in my wardrobe or hang on the wall or something, but I probably wouldn't wear it. But little pops of it here and there, fantastic. Sure. Or maybe it's a mm. pair of socks or something small, a pair of gloves. Oh, uh, I, th- you I know, think you can get away with anything on socks. Definitely. Socks are just like <laughs> <laughs> open territory. Put anything you like in socks. We had a, a fantastic article, um, I think it was in the last issue, on scrappy socks. That was just so much fun. She just used all these different colors, and um, she, they kind of matched, but they didn't match. Mm-hmm. I mean, you were doing this for quite a long time, too. I'm um, wearing a pair right now. Yeah, I've got a pair in my drawer. Actually, got summer here, so I can't wear them right now. 
but yeah, a lot of fun with socks. And I don't know that the rules apply to socks. I don't think they do. But no. on that note, one little like one little hot tip that I did want to share is about yellow. If we may just digress on yellow. Yellow controls. Yeah. So yellow is one color that will get in there and take over. So if you use yellow, proceed with caution, just like the police tape caution. Not too much. Well, yeah, yellow. it's interesting though when when you're blending colours, like I do a lot of colour blending with my combs. The odd thing with yellow is if you put just yellow into a project, it kind of takes it over and it dominates it really easily. But when you want to mix a colour, if you want to make a really nice orange, you need a lot more yellow. than It's not like 50-50 yellow, red. You actually need more yellow. And it's the same when you're making any colour with yellow. You actually need to add more of it to blend in to make the, the secondary colour. Whereas mm-hmm. other colours, if you're mixing red and blue, for example, you can put 50-50 in and get purple. So yellow is like an enigma, <laughs> that colour. It's <laughs> on its own, it's like really in your face right there. You can't miss it. But when you try to blend with it, you just got to keep adding it and then adding a bit more and then adding a bit more because it can seem to get kind of swallowed up in that other colour. So it's, it really depends what you're doing with it. But colour blending getting different colours, different primary colours or any combination of colours and putting them on your combs or your hand card and blending them up. You can learn so much about what colours go together and which ones don't. And it's often surprising. I was, I, I do um, fibre blending classes and we do some basic take two primary colours, blend them to make a secondary colour. And then I'm like, okay, so now what happens if we add a third colour? And and it's like, oh, I don't know about this. It's going to go this yucky brown colour, you know. And then suddenly you get the surprising, beautiful, heathery colour that comes out of it instead. And then you add another colour and you kind of keep going until it does turn yucky. <laughs> but it's surprising how many times you can add another colour, especially with fibre, because with fibre it's really an optical blend, unlike with dyeing where you're literally mixing the colours together. When you're making an optical blend, you've got those colours sitting next to each other and they never actually mix up, so it kind of keeps them intact. And so when you look really carefully and closely, you can see each individual colour is still there. And that's a really cool way to learn about how the colours will sit together when you actually literally blend them together into a little blend. Sampling is, of course, your friend with this. (laughs) like so many other things. Could you talk about some of the distinctions between, okay, we have different ways of introducing color into our final product of yarn. So we have, we can start with raw fiber that's undyed and dye it, and then we can blend it and so on, or or card bats and so on and so forth. Mm. So that's one way. We can... um, we can then go ahead and dye the yarn afterwards with starting with, you know, natural colored yarn and dye the yarn afterwards. So what's the difference in terms of the depth of color and what you can achieve by at what point you introduce dye? That's interesting. Actually, I think dyeing after spinning is actually quite often overlooked or undervalued, partly because as spinners, we like to spin the color 
It's more interesting for our eyes as we're spinning, the, especially multicolored braid, that kind of thing. You see all these colors passing through and you stay interested. If you're dying after you spun, you're basically sitting there spinning a white yarn and, and that can get a little boring. That's when you, you know, watch a movie or something while you're doing it. Um, I actually really like dyeing after spinning because I can create color combinations that blend into each other quite seamlessly. When you ply to combine colors, even if you've got, um, if you're doing like a chain ply to keep your colors together, you're still going to get areas where they cross over and you get the little bit of barber poling and striping, which can be a, a beautiful effect. But if you want something that's got a very smooth gradient effect, for example, or very smooth, like you go from pink through to, to purple through to blue in a, in a very sort of gradient way, you can do that really well when you dye after it's spun. You've got quite a lot of control with where the color goes. That's exactly where it stays in the yarn. Whereas when you're spinning from dye, pre-dyed fiber, you don't have, have complete control over where it goes because you're drafting it and, and, you know, it can get a little bit jumbled up and so on. So that's probably the biggest difference is the control over the color and, and the, the placement in the yarn mm -hmm. specifically. Mm -hmm. But I, I really like. Um, dyeing yarn after it's been spun and often I'll do things like um, you know multiple colors I'll put it into a, a pink bath and then I'll put it into a into a blue and see what happens or drop some of it into a you know into one color and the other half into another color and then dye it so, all with an over dye blue or wait a minute back up back up so you said <laughs> so instead of dyeing something purple right out of the gate you would dye yeah. it pink and then blue why? I like layering colors because what happens when you start to layer color, you start off with the light color first and then you add another color over the top of that. So the color underneath it kind of like glows through mm. the color that you over dye it and you get much more depth and richness in the colors when you've over dyed it two or three times. There's actually an article coming up in issue 10 of Tiny Studio by Cara Purpilitz, which is specifically talking about the colour tones of, of your fibre. She's taken um, some warm tones and some cool tones, base fibre colours, commercially dyed. One was a, a pale yellow and there was a pale blue and an oatmeal and so on. And then she's dyed them with the same colour to see what differences come out and of course the warm colors will show through so she'll dye them all in the same blue and the ones that started with the warm colors actually have a warmer shade of blue from just one dye bath after well I mean they've already mm -hmm. been dyed once so I thought that was really interesting that you can alter the colors just by adding it to another dye bath and the quantity of dye that you put in to that dye bath sometimes if you put in like a really small amount of dye and just make a glaze it will just tint your color a little bit if you put a lot of dye in then it will actually over dye it and change the color completely but you'll still get the influence of that previous color coming through it's actually it's really exciting i find doing lots of over dyeing and then it you know it doesn't matter if you start off with a, a white yarn or something that's already dyed mm -hmm. and you can do the same thing with your fiber as well you can um Often with um, fibre that I know I'm going to blend, I'll do like a pot of each colour. So there'll be a blue, a yellow, a green, a red, so on. 
But to each pot, I'll put in different shades of the same colour. So it'll be turquoise blue, navy blue, cobalt blue into one pot. So there's lots of variations of shades. So when I then blend those together, it gives you that richness of the of the variation as well. This is this is colour to me is just so exciting. There's so many things you can do with it. Do you think that I'm just going to pick blue because you mentioned blue. Do you think all blues go together? I would say yes. But then I think all colors go together, so I'm not the best person <laughs> to ask about this. Yeah, so, I, I, you can't really go wrong. If you, if you have four different types of blue, I mean, you could have one that's a very green blue and one that's a very sort of heading towards purple blue. They're still going to go. The base color is a kind of blue. I've not tried every single blue together, but yeah, I don't think you can really go wrong if you're sticking with one color and doing all the shades of it. Um, there's nothing that's going to clash in there. Yeah, okay, so, so that, badly that that's another sort of uh, if you're not a real color confident person and you don't want to mm. study color intently. That's like a pretty safe way to go. That's that's very safe color. That's yeah, a safe way to go. And things that are adjacent on the mm. spectrum. So if you go, you know, we know what the colors of the rainbow are and we know what the order is. And this was sort of the premise behind the rainbow book. Yep. And that is that if I go with red, orange, yellow, that's fine. Mm. Orange, yellow, green, that's fine. You see what I'm, you know, and so on and so yeah. forth. If you just stick with the colors as they sit next to one another in yeah. the order of the color spectrum. That's another yeah. like fast trick. Definitely. Well, anything like, you know, purple is made of blue and red. So, you know, you can use those three colors together because in the purple, there's already some red and some blue and the same with green. You can always use green with yellow and blue because those colors are in the green. And all the varying shades of them as well, you know, for gradients as well. It can be really fun. But the Rainbow Book, I mean, that was our main premise. Anyone that hasn't seen it is the Big Book of Fibery Rainbows. I still love that name. And uh, our idea on that book was really all about um, playing with colour palettes. It doesn't have to be, you know, a rainbow with every single rainbow colour. It could be a rainbow of naturals. Or it could be a rainbow of greens, could be a pastel rainbow. So we had all these different ideas and there are different kinds of rainbows you could create to make a palette and then use them all. And yeah, we even put yarn recipes in there as well. Yes. Use those colors really. It, it was far beyond the concept. And and I'm just going to yeah. digress and tell a little story, a little, little out of school story. <laughs> uh oh. So... How long did it take us to make the rainbow book? A couple years, three right? Years. Three years. Three years. Now, the re one of the main reasons it took three years was because at one point, Susie decided she was not satisfied with the photographs <laughs> and redid them. All of them. Every single one of them. So anyway, it took three years. So <clears throat> then after it comes out, it's fine. It's good. It's selling nicely. We get this email out of the blue from someone saying to us, they want to write a book and they want to know how did we get it published? And, oh, you know, yeah. all like, how did you do this? Tell me well, everything you did so I can do it. You know, too. 
after three years of effort, it wasn't something we were willing to just share. So we and it's even like, wow, where do you start? <laughs> I mean, from concept right through to finished. Well, do you oh, have three was, years? We'll tell you how I mean, to do it. But set I have to years. say, I did move countries from one side of the planet to the other. Oh, that's true. Through. That was that's a little true. unexpected. All right. But I so, still... Um, yeah, that's a little behind the scenes. Focused. You know, when you see people do things and you think, oh, look at that. But you don't realize sometimes it's quite heartbreaking yeah. to get from point <laughs> A to point B. Um, yeah. All right, so back to the topic at hand. Um, okay, so another thing that I've been doing lately is in terms of um, color and design, and and it's helping me to, sh- quote, shop local because um, I wanted a certain palette, and I pulled about a bunch of, uh, a bunch of sock yarns, actually, because it's going to be for a sock project, and I laid them all out. And I took pictures and then I rearranged them and I took pictures. And so I kind of like doing this because then I have those pictures on my phone. And before I really commit to the project, I can go back and forth with these different ideas. And so another way that has facilitated this is one of my pandemic projects was I completely reorganized my stash. I took... um, that's no minor undertaking well, for not for any of us, right? Because we yeah. all have significant stashes, and so I was taking, you know, back at the beginning of the pandemic when we were like shell shocked and we didn't know what to do with ourselves. I started watching all of my craftsy classes, and mm-hmm. one of them was on um, stash busting with Sally Melville, who's you know like a pretty famous knitter. And what she said was to take everything that you have. If it's yarn, it's yarn. Organize it by color and then store it that way. So I have a whole tub of red. I have a whole tub of orange. I have a whole tub of yellow. So, and then when you go to make something, then, you know, you just open up these tubs and you go digging around. So that's where that all came from. And that project took like about three or four days. (laughs) To do yeah, it was very time consuming, but it's well, pretty I, nice now. I always suggest doing that too with fiber stashes as well. So you actually have your fiber stash organized in color rather than fiber type, unless you've got some really specific fiber types, like you don't want to mix your long wools with your fine wools, then you can split that all your reds into two long and fine. So you can kind of subcategorize. But I always think it's easier to find what you want by color than it is by fiber type because you more that you're sort of visually keyed in to the color and you just sort of aim for it better or something in the stash. So if you've got everything organized by color, I think it's easier to find what you want. I know when I'm looking for something, I'm always thinking I'm looking for this color. Even if it's the natural colors, I'm going through all my stash. Like, I want the camel. I want the camel. And I've got that in my mind. It's not the feel of it, but the, the color of it. So, um, and then also when, when you're wanting to, to do your blending, it all, you know, you've got it all there. It also, um, just reorganizing your stash, however you decide to do it, is very good for your own inspiration. Mm. You know, you forget what you have. Uh, then you put things, different things together. Or uh, sometimes if you have a friend visiting back when we could, you know, you have a friend come in and say, you know, I'm going to knit the shawl and let them dig through your stash and shake it up that way. Um, Deb Lambrecht's uh, 
Lambert, Lambert's, Deb Lambert from Sarasota, Picasso's Moon. When she comes to visit, she's always helping me with that stuff. You know, I'll go. She's got a wonderful eye for color. She does. She Her does. work is always so distinctive and beautiful. She went through um, uh, a white phase for a while with her work mm-hmm. that I really loved mm-hmm. as well, all the different textures of whites. That's another color that we don't think of as a color, but it's um, really quite striking when it's used like that. There is also, I there's an account on Instagram um, with that the knitter only knits in grays and blacks and whites. Everything is only, you know, I don't know that I could do that. It's beautiful. Yeah. But uh, as, as someone who knitted something in all black last year, I'll never do that again. <laughs> yeah. There's a reason that didn't get knitted up in a lot for, I don't know, five years or something like that. Cause it's boring. It's horrible. All in black. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I really love those. You know, seeing that kind of Instagram account, I admire their commitment to doing that. I just know for myself I couldn't. I, I'm too much of a, you know, magpie. I like to collect all the shinies. <laughs> <laughs> I can't resist it. Even when I say to myself, I'm just going to do this in like two colours, that's it. I just end up with more. Somehow. You want to talk about your love of safety orange? Safety orange is amazing. Safety orange is a Dharma dye color. And I, I love the Dharma dyes for their neons. They've got the, the violet and the, the yellow, and um, there's a fuchsia that's really near. But safety orange, that you can put that in anything. <laughs> and it looks amazing. It sort of picks up and brightens the colors around it. And you can also use it to, to mix into color. Um, if you put a little bit of safety orange into your fuchsia, it comes out so hot. It's really, really cool. It's not a safe color at all. It's called safety orange because it's like the color of, you know, Hiver's vests that, that linesmen wear. But there's nothing safe about safety orange. It's a very exciting color to use. You can dare yourself with that color. What else, what other brands do you t- typically use for dyeing? Um, I actually use landscapes dyes more and more. Landscapes are Australian dyes. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not dyeing commercial quantities. I dye just for myself now. And so it's a little bit more expensive from landscapes, but the quality is fantastic. It already has the acid mixed into it, so it's literally you just add your water and, and you've got your solution. You don't have to muck about with, with measuring um, acid. And uh, their colour range is the widest of all of them, I think. And the cool thing is they also separate it up into different styles of colour. So they've got like an ocean range and uh, and lots of Australian plant sort of range and an earthy Mm -hmm. range. So they kind of separate it up for you into palettes as well, quite sort of large palettes to choose from. But you know if you choose everything from the ocean range that it's all going to go together really well. So they kind of do a lot of the work for you. Yeah. Um, so I use a lot of landscapes as well as the Dharma. Pretty much the Dharma now is for the neons in the bright colours. And mm-hmm. the rest I use landscapes. Very interesting. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if there is. I know they're available in Europe because um, that's mm-hmm. where I first started using them. And, of course, Australia New Zealand. I think they are. Um, there's people in the US retailing them as well. Um, but... 
it's like for us in New Zealand, we buy Dharma dyes, we have to ship it out here. So, yeah. And it's always worthwhile to get the colour you want. And that's the thing, mm-hmm. when you want a colour, that's the colour you want. You, yeah. you don't want to compromise. And yeah. I know a lot of people are, are also having fun with mixing their colours together. That's uh, the one The one thing I do regret about having to buy so much online is, you know, I don't mind buying yarn online. I like actually like buying it online. But, mm-hmm. you know, if you have not already bought from that seller and know the base and what the base is like, it's, it's a crapshoot. Yeah, yeah. I guess it's a case of buying a small amount, and then if you like it, you can go back for more. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it is it is a risk buying online because you can't pick it up and feel it. That's the thing I've always noticed the most when people are looking at yarns is it's so tactile they just want to touch it, and you don't know if you're going to like it or not. You might love the color, you might love the look of it, but you don't know if you're really going to love it until you've actually touched it. If it's got yeah. the feel that you want. So it's beyond color. (laughs) It is. Is there anything else you want to say about, we didn't talk, we talked a lot about color. We didn't talk so much about design per se. Um, Yeah, I tend to be one of those throw it together and see if it works people when it comes to color and design and putting things together. So I don't have any great tips on that other than trying stuff out. And I've actually been doing a lot of, um, uh, sampling recently I've got my hackle pattern system uh, there's a workbook free to download on the website at the moment at fabregoodness.com and there's also an article coming up in Spinoff Magazine as well on this system uh, and it's basically creating colour designs on a hackle so you can actually use the hackle to put the colors where you want them so that it's predictable in your yarn and repeatable. So you can make something that you, a basic one would be a gradient going from one end of the hackle to the other. Um, but you can also mix those up and put in different percentages of color um, across the width of the hackle. And then you can use the pattern that you make as a template to do that over and over again. So you can actually make an entire project's worth of yarn with this colored design in that so I've been doing a lot of sampling for that and putting different colors and different percentages together on the hackle and then um, spinning that in different ways like doing a chain play or doing a two ply or doing a single to to look at the differences so that's probably my best tip because I think color is so subjective and you know people have their own preferences I think the only way to figure out what colors are going to work for the project is to actually try the samples even if you do it with colored pencils and try it out that way and see if it's how you like it to look and not worry about, well, the color chart says this <laughs> or not. And um, so that's probably the, the best suggestion I can make and finding a way to combine the colors, um, keeping notes as you go with the samples, which colors you've used as well, specifically like the names of the colors. Otherwise, it's so easy to forget. I was definitely a person who was guilty of liking certain colors that didn't look good on me and like choosing over and over to make garments in these colors that might've looked great as a pillow on my couch, but didn't look good on me. And I actually took a class last year called style school and it was about finding your 
finding your your fashion sense really like building your fashion sense from the ground up and figuring out the colors that you really look best in mm. it's very interesting i started yeah. wearing more blue that's what i learned uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes it's really good to have that outside um, perspective as well. Someone to actually say, hey, look, check out these colors and see if they sue you. So what's coming up with uh, Fibery Goodness? What's what's on the uh, docket? Um, well, it's, it's a bit of a stressful time at the moment. We've got issue 10 coming out at the end of the week. And so that's a really packed issue we've got some articles on dyeing and some spinning articles i've got a whole um feature on cable spinning we've got you know i'm just putting it together at the moment and i think i'm up to about page 100 and i've still got a pattern to put in from uh, raha knits frenchie um she was just such beautiful patterns so that's going in. We've got a cool uh, project bag, crochet project bag, using up bits and pieces of um, yarn from Lee Charlton. That's very cool. So I'm looking forward to this issue coming out. And then after the issue is out, then it's going to get really exciting because I am moving forward with my going to print plan. Ta-da-da-da. And it all goes to that plan. Our following issue in May could be the first one in print. So very, very nervous about this. (laughs) But I've been planning it for so long. It was going to happen last year and then everything got locked down and it all got so uncertain. It's all got to be internationally shipped. And even that was a problem. So I put it all on hold and, you know, things aren't back to normal and I'm not sure if they're going to be, but things are sort of settled into what what they are right now. Mm -hmm. And I think we just have to work with that. And um and move forward. It's just got to that point. Every time I get I get one one copy per issue printed for myself and one for Ebenita. Every time I get it in my hands, I'm just holding it thinking, I really need to share this with people because it's just such a a great tactile experience holding the magazine. There's just also something about having that paper copy to hold on to that um just just speaks to me. So my big plan. Awesome. Fingers crossed. <laughs> yes. Okay. Yep, I that. think that's everything we had to share. I We hope you enjoyed this little chat with us. And maybe you got a couple of uh, ideas that you can use in your own work. Uh, and if you did, uh, please let us know. Um, the link will be posted all over the place where you can comment either on um, the website or the Facebook page, uh, so multiple places. But, yeah, and if you have any other tips you'd like to share with others, please also uh, leave those comments as well. I'll put a thread up on our Facebook group, our Fibre Goodness um, Tiny Studio Facebook group. So um, it'd be nice to carry on the chat there. Thanks it for sure listening, will. everyone. Yep, take care. Bye. Bye. Bye.